It's the first Prez Monday check-in. We'll have a chat, but not spill tea. Hey, it's the first Prez Monday check-in. We got the Bible and Greg and me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Monday check-in. I am Damon Jensen-Heitman, one of the pastors, First Prez Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Pres in Hastings, Nebraska, on this day after the spring equinox. Is that the right word? Uh, sure. I think, yeah, day seems like the correct terminology. <laughs> Indeed. After? Was that on the 20th or the 21st? It was on the 20th, I believe. At least according to... Uh, something i read yesterday oh well there you go (laughs) that that settles it and it does feel like spring yesterday it was very warm and very windy today Mm -hmm. it's pleasantly warm but apparently this afternoon it's supposed to be quite rainy and that rain is supposed to shift to snow overnight and uh at last check we're talking maybe a few inches of accumulation overnight Gone by the next day. Gone by, well, that's usually what happens when it snows in March, usually. So, uh, what is the Monday check-in? No one's wondering. Someone's wondering. Do you think that there's anybody who clicked on this and is like just wondering what it is? Yes. I think every time we have new listeners. That's why we have 125 subscribers. (laughs) I think that a like just popped up in somebody's algorithm. Like, oh, what's this? I wonder what this is. <laughs> um, you know, we, we have I'll, this really wonderful yeah. social media intern that is posting on platforms that I am unfamiliar with as a um, slightly Luddite Gen Xer. So my assumption is that it is showing up in some people's feeds on things like Insta, I don't know, TikTok or Snapchat or something. Um, I can affirm that it is showing up in people's feeds on Facebook because I'm the one who puts it up there. Um, Maybe if I click on this, maybe they'll wait uh, until they're, you know, like five minutes into it to explain what it is. (laughs) I think they're mostly attracted to the graphic that you made for our Monday check-in that we've now been using for two years. So what the Monday check-in is, the thing that we made the graphic for, is um, it's a little preview, essentially, uh, the upcoming Sunday. So we take a look at the scripture that we're going to use, at least some of the scripture that we're going to use for the upcoming Sunday. We have a little bit of chat, some of the themes that we may be seeing at some of the questions that we have for it, some of the questions maybe that that scripture has for us. We have a little Bible chat, and then we switch gears. We talk a little bit about the life of the church at First Pres Hastings. So... Uh, should we begin? Let's do that. And uh, normally we open with a prayer and, and reference what's going on in the world and maybe in our lives and our community. Uh, during the season of Lent, we are taking the prayers from the Lenten devotional guide, which was so lovingly written by Damon and Kylie. Um, and so I'm going to open us with uh, the prayer that was uh, written for Sunday, March 20th, which is yesterday. Uh, and we'll begin. Let's pray. Oh God, we know that you are unique in all the universe. You alone are the source of joy and spring of hope. You are set apart from the corruption 
the greed, the warring madness of the world. You call to us and ask us to set ourselves apart from such things as well. You remind us that we are your children, and as such, we are holy. Due to your spirit, we too are set apart from the world, or at least we can be. Help us to maintain the holiness you offer. Help us to keep our feet upon the righteous path, to refrain from judgment, and to build up peace in the world. Amen. So last week, as you mentioned, Greg, we were talking about holiness was the theme uh, in the devotional, and that was one of the themes in worship on Sunday. And we have these spiritual practices that we're inviting people to do during Lent. And this past Sunday was um, because in the in the Pauline uh, text from last, it talked about uh, being imitators. Right, I think. Um, was that last week? Or was that the week before? That was the week before. Ugh. But this you're... is why I don't like the Apostle Paul. <laughs> but the practice that you all suggested for this past week that we're in the middle of right now um, picked up on that idea. And you encouraged us each day this week to think of someone you know who you would consider to be holy. Someone who dedicates themselves to God. Spend time in prayer thanking God for their witness and asking God how you might produce such fruit. Then go ahead and do it. Did you come up with anybody? Well, uh, I sure did. Uh, but did you come up with anybody, Damon? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a story first. This is not a Greg story. This is a John Wesley story. Uh, John Wesley was the founder of Methodism. And Methodism is considered part of what's called the holiness tradition of churches uh, in the world. It's a, a branch of the Protestant church that developed, that does put a lot of emphasis on holiness and on sanctification, um, which is less of an emphasis in the reform tradition, which we are a part of. But uh, in my systematic theology class, uh, we were talking about this notion of holiness and achieving holiness, which is sanctification in this world. And Methodists believe that that is possible Presbyterians probably don't believe that it's possible because we have a lower view of human nature and the power of sin. We talk about humans being totally depraved, whereas the folks from the holiness tradition would say, yeah, humans are, are capable of good on their own, but God certainly helps augment that. So anyways, uh, John Wesley was debating with somebody who is probably a reformed Christian saying humans are totally depraved. They're not capable of any good on their own without God. And John Wesley said, I disagree. I think human beings beings are capable of holiness and they're capable of sanctification. And they, and somebody said, prove it, John Wesley. And John Wesley said, well, have you met Edith? Edith was an older woman in one of his congregations. And he pointed to her as an example of the fact that sanctification or holiness is possible in this lifetime, that Edith had in fact achieved it. So that reminded me of the exercise that you and Kylie suggested we do during this week is pointing to people that we perceive as, as holy or sanctified that are good examples for us that we should imitate. So any Ediths in your life, Damon? Um, I, I bet you that, um, well, at any rate, that Edith, I don't think he knew her that well, but at any rate, um, <laughs> and the reformed theology comes out. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, that's, 
that's an impossible that's an impossible standard but that's you know that it is what it is i suppose you know i because th- also the um one of the other passages for last week had to do with a fig tree that was uh was or maybe was not producing fruit and so i mean one of the places that my mind went was to the folks who organize and volunteer at our various feeding ministries that run through the church. And, um, and there's a lot of people that do that, that are involved in that, but that idea of this, they holiness is being, uh, being set apart, set aside. And that, you know, there's this sort of set aside time um, to feed people as a holy endeavor. And it's not just, those Saturday mornings, right? It's, it's the board meetings. It's the going over the spreadsheet. It's the ordering food. It's the wondering about how much food do we think that we'll need this month? How much can we get? Can we supplement this with other sources? Um, All of that seems, that seems like a, like a holy endeavor, right? That it's very clearly and specifically focused on meeting the needs of someone other someone who is uh setting time and energy aside or apart and dedicating themselves to god in service to others yeah i uh my mind also wanders as well to some of our feeding ministries at our church and and um the holy work that is involved in that and and i appreciate damon your recognition of the committee work that goes into that and the ordering of the food and the thinking through the logistics. And um, so like this last Saturday, um, we ordered based upon our numbers from the previous month and we ended up having lower numbers come to get food. And on one hand, we celebrate that because that means potentially there's less need in our community. At least this month, there's less need, but it also meant we had a lot of leftover food and some of the food is fresh produce. And in this case, we had gotten uh, lots of strawberries. Uh, And so when we finished, we had a couple pallets left of, uh, or flats left of strawberries. And of course, strawberries don't last too long. Um, They spoil. And so um, I watched uh, Brady Rhodes and Susan Mieske back their little C-Max up and flop the seats down. And we loaded these flats of strawberries into the back of their car so that they could drive it up to um, crossroads so that the crossroads then could implement those using these fresh strawberries in uh, the meals that they serve up there. And uh, there were holy moments in each step of that endeavor. My daughter Esther was actually the one distributing the strawberries onto the carts that went out to be loaded into people's trunks. So Esther smelled of strawberries uh, for <laughs> um, for that time. And so I just think of, of all the people involved in the distribution of strawberries uh, on Saturday and the ways that, that uh, th- those were holy moments. That was a holy act. Uh, it was set apart. It was set aside to feed people with good food uh, who need it and nutritious food. And yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a great example. So I, I mean, we could think of lots, lots more if we if we wanted to spend the time doing so. But we've got other things to do. We've got another Sunday coming up. Did you know, Greg, that Sundays, uh, they never stop 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I just celebrated five years at this church, which is like 250 plus 10, 260 Sundays. And they, they come up every single week. Every week. They never stop. And so every week we're producing bulletins and worship resources. And every week we're writing a sermon and it just never stops. Can't stop, won't stop. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So we got some scripture for this coming Sunday. Uh, a little bit from Luke chapter 15. And a little bit more from Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start with the Luke 15. Uh, and this is just the last few verses of um, of a longer longer story that most folks will know as the prodigal son. You could call it the prodigal son. You could call it the forgiving father. You could call it uh, the resentful brother. If you wanted, uh, we're going to read the resentful brother bit, but most folks know the story. There's a guy, he has two sons, the younger of the two sons, I think, um, demands uh, his inheritance from his father. His father somehow gives it to him. I don't um, And then uh, he runs off and squanders it, uh, feels ashamed. Uh, when he demands the inheritance, he essentially says to his dad, yeah, I wouldn't mind if you were dead and I could have what was owed to me. And, um, and then he squanders it, feels ashamed, comes back. Uh, his father runs out to meet him. They hug. Um, and his father says, uh, his, the son says, I've sinned against you uh, and, and please forgive me. And his father says, "We're going to have a party," and uh, going to and and that's kind of where we pick up the story at this point. And so this is uh, Luke fifteen, chapter twenty-five, not chapter Luke fifteen. It's chapter fifteen. It's verse twenty-five through uh, the last one that I'm going to read. Uh, it reads something like this: Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the son became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who was who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Uh, so that's where that reading ends. And then from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old 
has passed away. See, everything has become new. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's where that reading ends. Um, Greg, you think that this is about reconciliation? What are the chances do you think that this Corinthians passage is about reconciliation? I mean, it does mention that word once, twice, thrice, at least three times. So I think there is a, an underlying theme of reconciliation that would be appropriate to preach on in the context of, uh, of that second Corinthians, Corinthians passage this week. But I think the, the Luke passage is also about reconciliation, both reconciliation between the, the father and the prodigal son, but also between the father and the elder son. Um, and hopefully, maybe one day, between the elder son and the younger son, although we don't know how that part of the story ends. No. Um, so, I and I get the sense that he's kind of been mad about this for a long time. The elder son. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, right. You see your brother take off with half of his inheritance and squander it. Mm -hmm. And you're the faithful one. You're the one who sticks around and helps your dad. Who's probably I'm guessing older. that's, like how it always was growing up, right? I mean, again, we're we're reading into this. We're making some assumptions, but yeah. Well, it, it's a story. It seems that if we were to write the backstory of the prodigal son, we would see that, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, it I think one of the things that the story highlights is um, the sometimes... I have hidden need or desire for reconciliation. Um, but there's times when we offend someone or we wrong someone, we um, and we know it. It's obvious that you know that it's happened. Uh, and then there's other times where uh, I didn't. I didn't, I, since I never stopped to think of it from your perspective, I never realized uh, that what I was saying or doing was harmful or hurtful in some way, shape, or form, whether I was complicit in a system or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And it's hard to know when, when, when we've done that and how to address it when we have uh if yeah yeah but i think developing empathy is an important aspect of that so that you can be aware of those times where you have misstepped or stepped on someone's toes or overstepped or whatever um so that you can acknowledge and see those times when that's happened so that you can then seek reconciliation um yeah 
And this um this Corinthians passage. Um this is uh, part of a you know earlier in chapter five and chapter four, Paul's doing a lot of um talking about Like the like people's bodies, um, and talking about death. Essentially, he refers to bodies as tents. Now, uh, while we <laughs> live in these um, mortal tents, uh, a different habitation is being prepared for us, and um, seems to sort of vaguely reference uh, to a fair amount of physical suffering that he and his co-workers have been doing and maybe also the people in Corinth have been suffering through part of it seems to be in response to maybe a question of why are we suffering uh if you know we've adopted this faith we've become believers in this god um why are we feeling pain uh what's go <laughs> what's going on with this and 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 then sort of wrapped up in this and then that sort of flows into this, say like, well, we're reconciled. We are, our right and friendly relationship has been restored with God through Christ. Um, and so isn't that good? Is that what Paul's saying? Um, yeah, but then I think he takes it a step further and says not only has our relationship been restored with God in Christ, but now then we're called to be reconcilers in the world. We're, we're called. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. God is entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. So there's a strong call to action uh, in this uh, strong call to, we accept the reconciliation that we have received. And now we are called to bear that reconciliation to the world to teach others about that reconciliation to encourage others to enter into the same reconciled relationship both with us and with god right i think so yeah i think it seems to me this is like an encouragement to the people in corinth to join in the work of the evangelism yeah right like it's like it's it's specifically in like invite people to be reconciled to this god that you now know right Right. Um, it's not necessarily like the, the prodigal son has to do with interpersonal relationships and reconciliation there. If you read it as a, well, okay. Oh, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, the same the Corinthians passage uh, is more specifically about inviting people into, uh, into reconciliation with God. And I think with one another. Yeah, mostly focused on God, but I think we could read reconciliation amongst ourselves in there as well. Uh, not counting trespasses against others, not holding grudges. Um, God doesn't count our trespasses against us and has entrusted the message of reconciliation to us. So we're ambassadors for Christ. So we need to reconcile ourselves to God so that we can also reconcile ourselves to others and facilitate reconciliation amongst others and also encourage others to reconcile themselves to God. I think it's a both and, not an either or. Yeah. 
Do you think that people want reconciliation? Are you talking about in our current present day context? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges we face in our current present day context. Yeah. I think think people enjoy holding grudges. I think people, I think grievance politics is so saturated in our culture that um, we have to be angry all the time and we have to hold grievances against each other. And and so there's not a desire to resolve those uh, to reconcile with others. And in turn, we can't be reconciling ourselves with God if we're not choosing. Yeah. And I I don't know if that's unique to this time and place, if that's a current moment in our culture, or if that is a human condition, Uh, probably both, although it feels particularly acute right now. Um, and has felt acute for the past five or eight years, I guess. Um, but that's just my lifetime. I'm sure if we go back through history, we find other times where sort of, and some call it tribalism. And we, we, we get so deeply embedded in our, our, our tribe that we, uh, we can't see the other folks in other tribes as, as fully human and as sisters and brothers in Christ. And that tribalism is reinforced and reinforced and reinforced in our culture Um, and through our news media and through social media and through our interactions with others. And I've, I've mentioned this a number of times, but um, one of the hardest days that I've had in this community was last September uh, on the same Monday, there was a school board meeting and a city council meeting. And if you read the newspaper the next day on Tuesday, um, the, the way that people spoke to each other and treated each other in those meetings was really disappointing and hard to think about in the context of this community. And at the heart of your question, Damon, is do, did, were people even seeking reconciliation? Were they wanting to find a solution or were they really just airing their grievances and mistreating other fellow human beings and other sisters and brothers in Christ? And that was, that was hard. Um, and I, I continue to reflect on that day in September um, and wonder what we can do to speak into that in the context of our community. And I don't know. Yeah. Is- yeah. I don't get the sense that, uh, reconciliation. I don't think that that's a trending topic on, uh, on any platforms, you know, like, um, and I think that part of it is part of it is, is this sort of, it's fun to be on a team <laughs> uh, and it's fun in particular to be on my team. Right. And, um, and I think also reconciliation, there's a part of it that it requires admitting to a fault right? or admitting to some sort of limitation in perspective or admitting to some sort of, misdeed right that you would have to say i was wrong in this sort of way i was wrong to behave this way i was wrong to not give you the benefit of the doubt i was wrong in whatever sort of shape or form and that's not a fun thing (laughs) that doesn't um reinforce our 
our positive conceptions of ourselves, I guess, right? Um, yeah, so it's hard to do. I think I think one of the traits later on in the devotional, I think, is humility. I don't know if it's not. It, yes. it is or not. Is it? Yep. You know, but like this, the reconciliation thing and the humility thing go hand in hand. That, um, and those aren't necessarily things that are overtly encouraged, I suppose. Yeah, and it's part of what makes our corporate worship on Sunday mornings almost countercultural. And we talk about this sometimes when we introduce the, the confession. But this idea of, of publicly confessing our shortcomings, our failings, our, our, our sin, right? And we, I, I talk about when I introduce the confession, I talk about the times in the past week where we've created separation in our lives between ourselves and God and separation between ourselves and others. And the first step in restoring that separation in reconciling is acknowledging um, our role in creating that separation, right? And so for us to work towards reconciliation, both with God and with others, we have to admit our failings, our, our shortcomings and our sin. Um, and that is very countercultural right now. Um, and, but it's something we do every single week in worship. Um, and I've had a few people sometimes ask me about that and even challenge me. It's like, well, I feel like I was pretty good this week. Do I really need to con come and confess my sin out loud? I mean, I don't, I don't know that I really, um, and you know, I think, uh, if we really honestly reflect on the last seven days, there's at least a few times where we might have missed the mark. Yeah, yeah. You can come up with something generally, right? And and even if you can't come up with something, right? Let's say someone did actually have a perfect week. I think the practice still encourages us, us to admit that we are capable of these things. Yeah, and right? the interesting thing is that that is not something that's used in the liturgy of every worshiping body. Uh, not all churches have a prayer of confession or either corporately or even uh, a silent prayer of confession every week. That is, that is something that is deeply embedded in what I'll call our liturgical theology, right? Our theology as reformed Christians is that humans are depraved, that we are sinful creatures. And so our liturgy reflects our theology our liturgy says okay if we're going to name this reality that we're depraved or that we're sinful creatures then we need a liturgy we need a, a form of worship that um that helps us to address that and purify our hearts and minds so that we can more clearly hear god's word read and proclaimed to us in the rest of the service right um and that's that's a deep part of reformed worship uh, and I think if you went to a Presbyterian church or a congregational church almost anywhere in the world, uh, whether they, they have it quite as formally as we do in terms of a block lettering and reading a prayer of confession, I think you would find there's some level of confession at the beginning of the service before you have, hear the Bible read and before you hear the sermon preached, um, because our liturgical theology points us in that direction, right? Yeah, and also this is what the season of Lent is. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, so there were times when writing the devotional where it was kind of, oh, is this, is this being too harsh? Like, is this being <laughs> too, um, I was like, well, oh, this is the season. 
for because you don't want we don't want people to um to overly internalize this right where um they start to think well i'm just i'm just a worthless thing and uh because when you internalize that too much then it has damaging effects uh for your spiritual and mental and physical well-being right um but we also want to encourage people to be honest about you know i'm not perfect i'm not worthless <laughs> i have worth i have value and i'm not perfect um you know and i and i could you know be a little more peaceful a little more loving a little more generous right so it's not that it's not that we think that people don't have worth uh, or that people don't have value Certainly everyone does just that. And also I'm not perfect. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate that reminder that, that Lent is really about this notion of repentance and, and reconciliation and reflection and renewal. How many other R words can we put <laughs> in there? And um, registers. That was an R word. It didn't fit. Oh, well, nobody's perfect, eh? Nobody's nerfect, some would say. Should we change gears? Let's let's do that. Let's uh, move (laughs) on to what's going on in the life of our church. And um, a big change in the life of First Presbyterian Church of Hastings, our session, the Leadership Council of the Church met last week. Uh, and voted on our COVID precautions and voted to uh, lift our mask mandate in the building. So uh, for all activities in the church, including worship and Sunday school and Wednesday night activities and choir practice and also outside users of the building, like Boy Scouts and Pickleball Club and CCC, uh, we no longer have a mask mandate for our facility, uh, which means that uh, you can still wear a mask and we will still Um, have masks available at all the entrances to all of our buildings, but uh, masks are no longer required. And so um, we spent a lot of time in prayer and discussion and looking at the metrics published by the South Heartland District Health Department. And the South Heartland District Health Department last week also dropped their health advisory. And so we followed suit and dropped our mask mandate. So that's a a big change. Um, That also precipitates a change in some of our worship uh, locations. So uh, since we restarted our 8.30 to Zay service, we've been doing that in the sanctuary. Uh, Starting this Sunday, the 27th, we will be back in the chapel space for our 8.30 contemplative to Zay style worship service. Um, Then we'll still be in the sanctuary, obviously, for our 10.30 service. So uh, that's a big change. Yeah. Uh, such kind of worship stuff. Uh, also on Sunday mornings, we Dan Daffenbach continues to lead a series of forums on on the passion and narratives, risking the passion, uh, based on a book by Amy Jill Levine or Levine. I'm still not sure how it's pronounced, but uh, and taking a look at the passion the narrative, so Jesus, uh, what we think of as Holy Week, 
and the stories of the disciples and, and Jesus and the trials and all of these sorts of things. We are recording those sessions and getting them posted to YouTube. Folks can join anytime on that. So if you missed the first couple and are curious and want to come check it out on Sunday morning, you can do that in person or via Zoom. So if you uh, want to join online, uh, you can reach out to the church and we'll get you the link to be able to join that Zoom meeting on Sunday morning. Yeah. And all of our other uh, activities are going full bore ahead. So uh, we have Sunday school for all ages on Sunday mornings and we have Wednesday night activities for um, elementary age kids starting at four o'clock. And then we have a family style meal at six that all are welcome to attend. And then we have a youth group immediately following with our youth choirs after that. We also have choir, adult choir practice and adult bell practice on Wednesdays. So uh, busy, busy time in the life of our church as we get ready, uh, as we continue to celebrate or celebrate, I guess, we continue to observe the season of Lent and prepare to celebrate uh, Easter Sunday. So I think you can celebrate Lent. I think that's fine to do. I think it may actually be good and <laughs> necessary to do, but maybe we should do that. Maybe we should encourage people to celebrate Lent. You know, celebrate your imperfection. Except for Edith, I guess. She can't, for Edith. She, she can't participate in Lent. <laughs> Tough no, she has already achieved sanctification. <laughs> Tough so. break for Edith. Poor Edith. <laughs> Uh, is it time for a closing prayer? I think so. Okay. Uh, so this week's, uh, the prayer that we're going to use for the closing prayer um, is the prayer recommended from the devotional guide for Wednesday, March 23rd, having to do with reconciliation. And let's join together in a moment of prayer. This week, gracious God, I offer a prayer of confession. I confess that I have hurt my brothers and sisters. I have mocked them. I have taken their joy. I have prevented their peace. I have not dealt kindly with all those who dwell upon your holy mountain. By what I have done and by what I have left undone, I have sown and tended the seeds of separation, distrust, and anxiety in the world. Forgive me, O God, for my many sins. Release me from my burden and encourage me to seek reconciliation between myself and those whom I have hurt. Please, O oh God, let me be reconciled to you and to my neighbors. Amen. Amen. With all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.